Um, I hope you will consider joining us on Sunday, September the 11th at 5 p.m. for our church family uh, movie and meal night. And that's the movie we're going to watch, the Overcomer movie. And uh, some of you are familiar with um, the producers who made the movie Fireproof and Courageous and War Room. It's the same uh, producers. So uh, it's going to be a great night together. Again, people coming back from summer vacation. So we're going to have a nice meal together in the lobby and then enjoy a movie uh, together that will inspire faith. So you can head over to kingstreet.org and secure your, uh, your seat for that event. It's $8.50 per adult and then $5 per child, uh, 10 and under. So you can head over to the website and make sure you've, uh, you've picked up your ticket for that event. And uh, I want to say a big shout out to all of our summer interns. We had 10 student summer interns this year, and they were fantastic. Um, they worked closely with our uh, creative team and with children's ministry and a host of other areas in church life, and uh, they were all-stars. So thank you for your, your service among us. And I do want to acknowledge our federal government, actually, who made that possible. Uh, thanks be to God, ultimately, but our government paid the freight for 10 students to get a full salary for uh, I think it was eight weeks or so each for the for the summer that's a lot of money I don't I don't have the exact totals but I think the government gave us about forty thousand uh, dollars so that we could help uh, spread the gospel so that's that's worth celebrating isn't it yeah I think it is so um, we're we're grateful for that and we're also grateful that Pastor Kristen and Pastor Jared welcomed Caden uh, James Douglas Malcolm. Nine pounds. Nine pounds. Apparently that's a big baby. Yeah. So Jared's doing fine. And uh, uh, no, both, both mom and baby are well. They're healthy. So thanks be to God for, for that beautiful new, um, new gift of life born on August the 7th. And so uh, we're celebrating celebrating with, uh, with the Malcolms. Uh, we're also gonna celebrate communion um, this morning. So uh, if you haven't accessed a communion cup that has a, a cracker in it as well, uh, they're in the lobby and uh, you can head out there at some point between now and the end of the uh, scripture talk and we'll be sure to get you one of these so that we can eat and drink together. And uh, you're never obligated, but always invited. And it is a very significant moment for us as we celebrate what was accomplished for us at the cross by Jesus laying down his life. And uh, again, so the communion cups are in the lobby. So uh, we're continuing a series of scripture talks that will take us right through to the end of August uh, based on the book of Colossians. We're just going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, we find ourselves partway through chapter three of the book of Colossians. And the teaching theme that is... Um, kind of woven throughout the whole book, a four-chapter book in the New Testament, is about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus. He is king over his good creation. And um, so he is not an add-on to an already jam-packed worldview. Uh, Jesus is the king over um, all creation. And uh, he is king over all lesser gods, small g gods, so to speak, the ones of our own creation, because he is the one true God. And uh, so Colossians is a powerful book that also has some pragmatic elements to it. Uh, Paul is a wonderful writer as he's informed by the Spirit, 
in helping us understand with greater clarity the gospel of Jesus. Um, but he takes us from 30,000 feet about the supremacy of Jesus into the last chapter or so where he talks about how households and workplaces are all impacted or influenced by King Jesus. And uh, so as we do around King Street, we, we, uh, we take a look at the uh, revelation as found in Scripture, uh, God's self-revelation of himself, and then we, um, again, listen for the way the Spirit invites us to apply that uh, life-transforming gospel to our day-to-day -day lives and to our relationships. And so we will do the same again today. We're going to talk about um, how we are invited to live a virtuous life. And um, that's, that's for all of us. And we're going to talk about how um, the virtue uh, is, in many ways, as Paul describes it, is like a wardrobe change. And uh, he hinted at that last week. If you weren't with us last week, you can head over to YouTube and uh, check out our YouTube channel, and you'll be able to pick up the teaching series from there. Um, but there's this idea that the um, virtue um, that is described in Scripture is timeless, transcends culture, transcends times and seasons, and it's relevant always for us. And uh, so we'll take a look at that in just a moment. But our passage to ponder is taken from chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, the first four verses. So uh, if you're comfortable reading this with me, do you want to read it together? It's always good to hear the words, uh, the word of the Lord come out of our own mouths. So um, often our preacher teacher will read it for us. But why don't you join me if you're comfortable and we'll read it nice and loud together. Read it so your neighbor can hear your voice. How's that sound? We're going to declare this good word today. All right, here we go. Since then, you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord, isn't that good? Wasn't it good to hear you declare the word of the Lord like that? Love it. Love it. I remember growing up at a time in history in the church where we used to have these responsive readings. Anybody remember those days? Uh, our reader would read something, and then on the screen, the congregation would echo it back, and it was, it was kind of beautiful. Um, yeah, I kind of, as I'm getting older, I'm kind of longing for some of those days, eh? Um, the power of the transcendent. The power of the transcendent presence of Jesus. We crave that, don't we? I met with our architect this past week and um, our contractor as we're designing a chapel. <laughs> they laughed at me a little bit, but they said, well, describe the feel you're looking for that space. I said, well, we're, we're looking for something that's got like a traditional feel to it because it's going to be a place where we celebrate people who have graduated and gone on to be with God, and there'll be some exchange of sacred marriage vows, and there'll be some prayer gathering moments in there, a place where we worship the Lord together, learning environments. I said, we'd like it to be fresh, but a place where when people walk in, they'll feel a sense of the transcendent. And I said, and all for under half a million dollars, please. <laughs> But, but isn't that true? 
Are you desiring the transcendent presence of God? It happens when you go for a walk and you're alone in nature and you know you're not alone, right? There's something inside of you that says, I'm in the presence of God. It's wonderful to be in your presence today. But I, I think if we all scratch below the surface of what we really, really want today is to be in the presence of God. We were made for him. We were made by him. And until our heart has found a landing place in his presence, we will be anxious for something. Right? We will be anxious for something. So we're going to talk about how we're all invited to live a virtuous life. And you and I cannot become virtuous on our own. You can't will it, though it requires choices. It is something that the Spirit of God produces in us as we say yes to his will. And we say yes to his will over and over again. And as we say around here, we choose to do the next right thing. Over time, there will become a, a sense of virtue that will come to us. It'll be part of who we are. And um, so our teaching is going to, you know, culminate with a celebration of communion. And then we're going to pray for each other, those of you who would like to be prayed for. And uh, those of you who are new to us, we are super glad you're here today. And whether you find yourself at the center of um, life with God or whether you find yourself at the edges struggling to believe, there's, a, there's room for all of us here today. And so we're, we're glad that you're here. So um, virtue is a bit of a, an older term. We don't use it that often, uh, but it's timeless. And it, it is probably more necessary now than it's probably ever been. Um, virtue literally means behavior that shows or expresses high moral standards. And, and probably an easy way to understand it is just these two words, moral excellence. We could use some moral excellence these days. Uh, when our culture is, is struggling to find some moral underpinnings, uh, where we're kind of choosing to redefine what morality is on a regular basis, we, we could use an awakening of the timeless virtue that is found in the heart of God for, for his people. And so uh, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about holiness. And, and that, that word uh, can maybe evoke all sorts of different feelings. Um, it can take you to places in your mind's eye. Um, but, but to be holy is to be different, to be separate, to be of a moral um, quality that is... Um, resembles God. God is holy. And we also have been invited to be holy. So, so those of us who have put our saving faith in Jesus, I can tell you what God's will is for your life today. It's that you be holy. It's that you would literally separate yourself for his purposes. And by the way, that does not make you irrelevant in this world. In fact, you will probably, as Mother Teresa would say, when I am with people all the time, I am of less value than when I steal away and I am with God. When I step back into a circle, a relational circle, I offer more value. Those of us who understand biblical holiness understand that we have been called to carry the fragrance of Jesus wherever we go. 
And that makes our world a better place. When you, when you and I carry the fragrance of Jesus into whatever environment he sends us in, we don't become stuffy, judgmental people. We become life givers. I'm reading a book right now called Soul Talk. And the whole premise of the book says, you can spend your whole life practicing self-talk or you can learn soul talk. And they're not the same thing. When you experience soul talk, you speak life to other people. What comes out of you nourishes others. When, when, when people are in the presence of a holy person, they don't feel judged. They don't feel scrutinized. They feel like they're in the presence of someone who is exhaling life, true life. And so um, we're, we're going to take a look at some characteristics today. Um, timeless um, fashion that is never out of style. Have you looked at some photos over the last number of decades at what you used to wear? Uh, my, my oldest is planning a wedding, and so we're, we're looking at photos from the past, and that is an adventure. Um, when my wife and I need a good, hearty laugh, sometimes we'll, we'll find a Seinfeld episode, and it just, it just takes us to funny places. But uh, it takes us to funny places because we realize what Jerry and his friends were wearing back in the early 90s, and uh, it, it's quite interesting the way fashion uh, changes. Um, we, we, we change our apparel um, but I, I'm going to argue today that Christian virtue is never out of style. It may not be popular, it may not be celebrated, but it's never out of style. And here's why. This is the premise of the teaching. The virtue that I am going to unpack with you today, that Paul gives us in Colossians 3, is what is ultimately real. Uh, it, it, it never, ever loses its value. Like I said, may not be as popular as it once was, as we look at a, a certain way of putting on the character of Jesus, but it is incredibly relevant. God is the most, um, he, is, he is ultimate reality. And so whenever we, we begin to be up close and personal to him, we are getting closer and closer to that which is ultimately real. And the virtue of Christ is real. It's timeless. It is never out of style. So this is our first thought, and I will move fairly quickly through our teaching. Um, the first thought is this. Christian virtue is never out of style. Uh, listen to Paul here, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves. This is your fashion apparel. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those, those are beautiful words. Uh, we, we could use a, a revival or an awakening of tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, my youngest daughter was coming home. She's an ER nurse in Bowmanville last night. And we were out with some friends and got home. And she said, I can't believe it. I was driving home on the 401. And this guy was on the shoulder. And he was just going at it with somebody on the side. It was like a road rage went bad on the 401. It's like a loss of tender-hearted mercy, right? 
It's just like people are, are at the edges. There's like a tinderbox going on, and all it takes is one wrong look, and, and people are just, they don't have any capacity anymore. These virtues have a lot to say to our culture. They have a lot to say to us as the people of God. And so um, I want to contrast the um, timeless fashion that Paul is advocating for with the the out-of-style apparel that sometimes can be worn by our culture and sometimes by us because we spend time in our culture too. So when we're out of style, we are tough, not tender. When we are out of style, we are tough, not tender. Um, Empathy and compassion are the antithesis of toughness. Uh, when, when we're growing up, sometimes people tell us you should toughen up a little bit, right? You need a little bit of toughen the skin because sometimes we can perhaps be overly sensitive. Uh, I'd rather be a little bit overly sensitive and learn to toughen up a little bit than to have a tough outer shell where I don't feel anybody else's pain at all. Tender-hearted mercy. Now, I've said this many times here at King Street is that and tell me if this is not true. We want justice for everybody else, but we want mercy for ourselves. Is that not true? If somebody wrongs you, somebody ought to pay for this. But if it was us who had done the wronging, we're going to look up at the judge and say, hey, can you go a little easy on me? Right? Doesn't Adele have a song, Go Easy on Me or something like that? We all want that. If you and I were in a uh, court of law today and we were guilty for an infraction, we would want the judge to exercise some form of tender-hearted mercy, wouldn't we? We want that for ourselves. But if you haven't noticed yet in our culture, there is a justice crusade that's going on. Have you felt the justice vibe? We are in a cancel culture where if you do something wrong, you're going to pay for it, right? It's a justice culture. Justice matters. Justice is in the heart of God, but so is mercy. So is mercy. At the cross of Christ, what do we see? Do we see only justice? No, 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 no. You see justice and mercy. The penalty of sin is being atoned for. And who gets to go free? We do. We get mercy. Paul is saying, Jesus following people who are holy ought to be known for tender-hearted mercy. In the original language, it doesn't show up anywhere near this in our English reading of it, but literally in Greek, it means intestine. It's coming from the inside. For someone to be full of tender-hearted mercy, guess what's happening? There is something on the inside that is coming out, deeply felt. And this is what Paul is arguing for, not changed behavior only, but something from the spirit, from the soul. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and justice will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23 resonates because we all want mercy. 
And we do want to dwell in the house of a merciful God all the days of our lives. So tenderhearted mercy is the first in Paul's list. We are, are, when we are out of style, we are cruel and not kind. So what does it mean to be kind? It's in the little things, right? It's in the little things. It's when the server brings your food to the table and it's just not exactly what you ordered or it's not at the temperature of your preference. And how do you respond? Have you ever been with somebody, another patron, a friend, a family member who was not kind, but they were mean-spirited, perhaps cruel to the server? Uh, just a reminder, the server did not make your meal. I, I always, I, I shouldn't say always, anytime you say always, you're probably about to fib. Um, but I often, I often make it a, an effort, even if perhaps the meal is not just right, to find something to thank the server for. I often say thank you, and it's such an important thing to do. So when the food is not quite right, or what does it mean for us to be kind when the healthcare provider, I'm a little bit sensitive to this. My daughter's an ER nurse. When you've had to wait for a long period of time in the clinic or to see the doctor, how do we respond when it's finally our turn to be cared for? Well, thanks be to God. Yes, we have a flawed healthcare system, but it's better than a lot of other countries, right? Could it be better? Yes, 100%. But it's still pretty good, isn't it? So how do we respond? Are we cruel? Are we mean-spirited? Are we complaining? Are we criticizing? Or is there some way we can say, thank you, we finally got a chance to see a doctor, a nurse, whatever it is, and we treat that person kindly? When people are feeling overwhelmed, or perhaps somebody isn't driving very well on the 401, how do we respond? It's funny, you know, um, when we see people face to face, we understand that they're humans. When they have their hands on a steering wheel, we've lost sight of their humanity. Have you noticed that? It's just a car, it's, it's that person. And then we have names for those people who are driving in ways that are different than the way we're driving. But I've often thought of this. If somebody's really annoyed me behind the wheel and they're driving and I'm like, I can't believe that guy. Why did they do that? If that was my cousin or my aunt or my uncle, I'd be very accommodating, wouldn't I? Because it'd be very embarrassing if I drove up beside my cousin and kind of gave him a piece of my mind, right? He'd be like, I think that's Uncle Dave. And I, I think he's a pastor. I, I, I thought he was a pastor, right? And by the way, that's why you never, ever put a fish on the back of your bumper when you're driving around. That's just not wise, friends, not wise. I do not want to bring a reproach to the gospel, so I keep the fish off my bumper while I'm driving. Um, but it, it's, it's easy. It's easy sometimes to dehumanize one another. And, and the worst, right, is when you're behind a keyboard or when you're making a post on Facebook or something, somebody has a different political view than you. Have you ever met anybody who's got a different political view than you? <laughs> we just dehumanize them. How can they even see the world like that? How could anybody ever vote for that party, <laughs> right? All right, we're not, we are out of style when we are proud and not humble. Um, so what is the, um, 
What is the antithesis of, of pride and arrogance? Or, or what is the enemy? Maybe that's a better term. What is the enemy of pride and arrogance? Uh, it, it's not humility. That would be the opposite of, but, but the enemy of it. Here's what I would suggest to you is the enemy of pride and arrogance. Gratitude and thanksgiving. Because the moment I say thank you, I recognize that there has been something that I have received. There has been a gift granted to me, either the gift of someone's time or something. A paycheck, thanks be to God, we have an opportunity to earn it. But demanding and being entitled doesn't take long before we have an arrogant way about us and our way of being is so not in step with what it means to live or lead a virtuous virtuous life. Paul says that we ought to be people known for our humility and not for our arrogance or pride. And then also we are out of style when we choose a harsh, not a gentle response. And so Paul writes that we ought to be gentle. Uh, you know, here's, here's a good word. It's um, gentleness. A gentle answer turns away wrath, right? If we respond in kind when someone has been insolent or they've been rude to us, it just, we just keep upping it. But when we are gentle with our response, we begin to diffuse it. It turns away wrath. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when we choose it. And then finally, um, we are out of style when we choose to be demanding and not patient. Uh, it's been said before that patience is a virtue, right? It, it really is. It's one of the hardest things to develop. John Ortberg says, if you want to become more patient, choose the longest line at the checkout. Don't say, Lord, make me patient and then go for the shortest one. Make me patient, go for the longest one, and then just see how you're doing. It's a good test. All right, a couple more thoughts for us before we turn our attention to communion. Number two, Christian virtue imitates Jesus in his generous offer of forgiveness. Uh, here's Paul. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Verse 13. Uh, wow, that's powerful right there. We will all have many, many opportunities, and we have over the last number of years, haven't we? Have people done some offensive things to you along the way uh, where we have an opportunity to forgive? And, and this ought to be a strongly forgiving community where when somebody slights us or, or, or offends us in some way, we're quick to cover. Love covers a multitude of sins. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus. Um, I'm going to show you a video clip in just a moment, but before we get there, Peter, impetuous Peter, who's bold, full of faith uh, often, and, and uh, he, he says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brothers? Remember that story? He thought he was about to be profound and incredibly gracious. What does he say? How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Well, he literally says, seven times? And Jesus says, seven times? 77 times. And he wasn't stuttering. 77 times. In fact, other translations literally say, 70 times seven. So Jesus is actually saying to him, exponentially more than the seven you've outlined. And in fact, if you're a good Jew and you understand what the number seven means, God created the creative order in seven days, right? It was complete. It was full of all of his good creation. Seven is a complete number. He says, we need to forgive completely and perfectly. 
and exponentially more than when we consider ourselves to be generous. And so here's, here's the story, right? You know this parable. This is right on the heels of when Peter says, he says, how many times should I forgive, forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot, he was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, just a pittance compared to what he'd been forgiven. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Are those sobering words? They indict all of us. Jesus has canceled a tremendous debt against us. And yet we are so quick to pull out our scorecard and to keep records of all the wrongdoing that others have done against us. And I realize today that it's hard sometimes to forgive some people for what they've done. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Sometimes the most unwise thing to do is to go back into a relationship with somebody who threatens your welfare. It would actually be incredibly unwise but forgiveness is about canceling the debt. It's about letting ourselves go. So forgiveness is to be perfect and complete, and forgiveness must not be forgotten. When we have been recipients of an immense amount of forgiveness, we ought to be quick to move towards others and offer forgiveness as well. I want to direct your attention to a video clip. It's a movie from 2005, a little bit dated, but it is just loaded. The last line is so good. I just wanted to share it with you today. It's from the movie called The Interpreter. And so we'll, uh, we'll watch it together. What are you not telling me? What are you accusing me of? How do you feel about Zawani? Never mind, I don't care for him. I feel disappointment. That's a lover's word. What about rage? Of all the people that I've looked into since this thing started, the one with the darkest Zuwani history is you. It was his landmines that killed you. Shh. We don't name the dead. Everyone who loses somebody wants revenge on someone on God if they can't find anyone else. But in Africa, in Matopo, the coup believe that the only way to end grief is to save a life. 
If someone is murdered, a year of mourning ends with a ritual that we call the drowning mantra. There's an all-night party beside a river at dawn. The killer is put in a boat, he's taken out on the water, and he's dropped, he's bound, so that he can't swim. The family of the dead then has to make a choice. They can let him drown, or they can swim out and save him. The coup believe that if the family lets the killer drown, they'll have justice but spend the rest of their lives in mourning. But if they save him, if they admit that life isn't always just, that very act can take away their sorrow. Vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Isn't that so good? Vengeance is a lazy form of grief. Love it. And sometimes that's what we choose. Someone's going to pay for what was done. Thanks be to God, Jesus took that upon himself. All right, we'll wrap up with this last uh, thought. I want to invite the worship team and the band to make their way back, and we'll get ready to celebrate communion together in just a moment. Christian virtue leads with love and provides a lift for others. Uh, verse 14, above all, Paul finishes this section of Colossians 3 with these words. He says, clothe yourselves with love. There it is. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Christian virtue leads with love and provides a lift for others. Um, Paul reminds us, as he does to the Corinthians, that love is the greatest gift. Um, it is the supreme virtue. Paul would later write again and say that you can have all the spiritual gifts in the world, you can speak in the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. You can be involved in the supernatural. You can see miracles happen, you know, casting out demons, all the powerful stuff. But if you don't love, he says, it's nothing. Love is always bent toward doing what's best for the beloved. And so we are called to be people who do life differently and who choose to say yes to the invitation to uh, put on the virtue of Jesus. It's never, ever out of style. Our culture might deem it weak, perhaps. Sometimes gentleness is deemed weak. Humility is um, not esteemed or prized. Um, it's elbows up culture. 
but the way of the kingdom of God is towel and basin and washing one another's feet, honoring and preferring one another, seeking unity and commonality. All of those things that seem to be just sort of like leftovers in our culture. But the spirit of Jesus is calling us to go a different way. All of the church health people and the church growth people that are writing right now say that we are in uncharted waters as a biblical, as a church community. And that um, this, is, this is what they're saying. Engagement matters more than anything, and here's why. It's the engaged who will remain after the shaking has come to an end. Does that make sense? Engagement matters because it's only the engaged who will remain. It's the ones who are really, really serious about following Jesus. How serious are you these days about following him? Our passage to ponder, when Christ who is your life appears. When Christ who is your life appears. The supremacy of Jesus over and above everything else. Hey, we live in a material world. We all have to go to a grocery store. We put gas in our cars if we don't have an electric one, right? We live in a material world. But there is more to life than measuring our self-worth by the size of our portfolios. There's more to life than the status of your nine-to-five job. Thanks be to God for it. There's more to life than even your family. Thanks be to God for it. There's more to life than your life. Because long after you breathe your last, that divine spark inside of you will live somewhere forever. And we don't really have an understanding on how this works but the biblical writers did, and they teased it out just enough so that we would kind of lean into it with some curiosity. There is something called reward on the other side. And we take that which we've done for Jesus and for Jesus alone with us into eternity. I don't understand how it all works, but it's what we do for him and only for him that will last forever. Everything else gets burned up gets burned up. Lord Jesus, help whatever it is that I've been living for not to get burned up. I want to live for you wholeheartedly, a consecrated life. I want to lay it all down again, God, every day before I throw my legs on the other side of the bed to say, this life is about loving and knowing and serving you with the whole part of me. And uh, Lord, I know that I'm among friends today who are wanting that to be true of them imperfectly, yes, but we're leaning into that together. God, I just pray that you would help us to be encouraged because of the patience of the Spirit and help us also to hear the whisper of the Spirit that calls us to live a consecrated life. And wherever the distractions and the pursuits that we kind of think are worth more than they really are, Lord, help us to come to our senses. Those of us who need to, help us to come to our senses, to see that it's all about knowing and loving you. 
So as we turn our attention now to communion, God, pray that you would help us to have our eyes wide open to what was done for us and that we also might lay our lives down for your purposes as a response to the God who loves us to the point of death. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you have a cup in your hand, and I hope you do. If you don't and you would like to eat and drink with us, um, you can make your way to the lobby, and they'll be sure to serve you there. And um, again, you're not obligated to participate. This is something that King Street Community Church did not um, create or design. This is something that Jesus um, redeemed in the sense that it's a Passover celebration that he put himself at the center. And so the eating and drinking is all about the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And so he said, this is my body, this is my blood. And so he literally redeemed himself. He identified as the Lamb of God, where the, the death angel passed over the people of Israel. Um, Jesus himself um, causes us to escape death. And so it is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture um, for, for all of us. Now, if you're here today and perhaps you're going to eat and drink for the very first time, um, I think that's awesome. Uh, and in your eating and drinking to yourself before God, most importantly, and to those around you, you're saying, I believe that Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God. I believe that he died for the sins of the whole world, including my own. And I believe that I need saving. I believe that my sins need to be atoned for. And uh, I have not lived a perfect life. I have failed. And I have disobeyed. And I have sinned. But Jesus has died for those who fail, who disobey, and who sin. And so I am numbering myself among those who need forgiveness and who need pardon. And... Um, so thanks be to God for those of you who will be eating and drinking for the first time. For someone who's here today who just feels like I, I am just not worthy to eat and I'm not worthy to drink, um, you are in good company today. Not one person in this place today who's seated here now is worthy of eating and drinking. Um, we don't qualify for this. Here, here's actually how you qualify for this, acknowledging that you don't qualify for this. That's how you qualify. Everything in the kingdom of God is upside down. It's like, I am not good enough and this meal is for the not good enoughs. If you actually think you're good enough, you maybe should put this down for a moment and say, Lord, help me to right-size my heart. I'm, I'm not, I don't qualify for this. But I, I want every person, my, my, my heart for you today, the heart of God is that everyone would be included in the eating and drinking because God's grace is for all of us. All that's required is that you would have a high view of Jesus and that you would recognize your need of salvation and then you're, you're invited to the table, so to speak. And um, so uh, the content of our faith um, is going to be on the screen in just a moment. The substance of our faith is Jesus himself. And so um, if you believe these words to be true, would you join me by reciting them in a way that your neighbor could hear as we read earlier? All right, let's recite this together. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And if you believe that to be true, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so have you opened up your cup? I heard a lot of cellophane opening earlier, so I think you did that. And I am catching up to you, so thank you for bearing with me. And so we hold the wafer in our hand today, symbolic of the broken body of the Lord Jesus. And so um, with thanksgiving to God for the willingness of the Lord Jesus, who is the only perfect, fully human, fully God, fully man, who came as Messiah to rescue the human family with high regard for what he has done and for who he is. Would you join me by eating the wafer? And then the cup that we hold, symbolic of a brand new agreement or in the biblical term covenant recognizing that the life of the creature is in the blood that the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus that represents his death he stepped in so that what happened in Eden would be reversed is that we might walk with God again in the cool of the day, that we might have unbroken fellowship with God through Christ, that we might be separated as far as the east is from the west, so far our transgressions have been removed from us, thanks be to God. And so, we thank you, Jesus, for your suffering. And we don't move too quickly past this moment. We thank you for what was done for us. We take into ourselves now, symbolically, of course, but the potency, the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus. Lord, there are some in this room today who have shame and guilt that seems to be persistent and pervasive and won't let them go. Pray, Lord, that when they drink in just a moment, there would be something powerful released in them that would let them know that their sins have been atoned for, that they are free to go, to live the life you've called them to live without having to prove themselves to anyone. Lord, whoever that is in this place today who needs to be absolved of their sins, and in the whisper of their own minds, if everybody knew, Lord, may that whisper be silenced today by the beautiful beautiful whisper that your sins are atoned for. Amen. Would you join me by drinking from the cup? Amen. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.
Yeah, we are saved. Do you know that you are saved? That term, if you don't understand what you're saved from, it just feels like a religious thing to say, but you're saved from death. You are, one day when you breathe your last and family and friends gather and they celebrate your life, you will be with God and you will be at peace with God and there will be a great heavenly reunion and one day there will be a resurrection of that body. And so you are saved from death and saved from judgment, saved from an eternity of being separated from God. That is good news. That's the gospel, right? That is the gospel. Okay, so here's what we're going to do in the remaining time we have left. I know it's quarter to 12, but um, these are sacred moments for us, and we ought not to rush them. I understand that some of you have kids and you need to pick up your children. Others of you have commitments and you need to be in other places. I understand. Um, So again, we're glad that you came today. Those of you who've come with an offering to give, there are giving drop boxes in the back. You can find one of those on the way out. And uh, you're welcome to, um, to be dismissed in just a moment. And, um, but if you're able, would you stand together? Um, I want to invite our pastors and our board, the spiritual leaders of our church family, to come and to make themselves available. We're going to pray together for those of you who would like to be prayed for. And... Um, If you have a little bit of faith or a lot of faith, uh, we will join our faith together. And uh, we believe that the living Christ is here today and that he can heal bodies and restore minds and bring about a wonderful uh, reconciliation and relationships. He can provide for you and for those you love. And and so uh, in just a moment, some will head that way and others will come this way and we will pray together. If you would like to be anointed with oil, symbolic of the... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will anoint you, make the form of the cross, just a small cross on your forehead. Pastor Al will do that at the center aisle, and then we will pray prayers of faith and believe that God will meet us here in just the way that he wants to meet us. So uh, please don't be shy to come on ahead, and uh, let me leave you with a blessing and benediction, and some will go that way, and some will come this way. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his loving countenance towards you and give you much peace and much grace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you are dismissed to go, and those of you who would like to come forward, we would love the privilege of praying with you. So God bless you today.